0: You know, when everybody kind of settles down and you stand up here, it's just so fun to see people greeting each other. So take as much time as you need. It's really, it's really lovely to see it. <laughs> Hello. Uh, our scripture reading this morning is from the first chapter of Luke. It's going to be on the screen, and it's also on page 832 of your Bibles. If you like the feel of the Bible in your hand, please turn to page 832, or feel free to read from the screen. Would you read with me? and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Holy God, we ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would add understanding to the hearing and reading of your word. We ask that you would invite us into these scripture verses, that we would receive them and live in them. We ask that by the power of the Spirit, you would move us in response to your word, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are, a few of us, many of us, the fifth Sunday of December. It's the fifth Sunday. It's like almost feels like we had the finale last week, doesn't it? <clears throat> I mean, Dan, I'm sure you must be feeling like, are we done yet with December? Somebody just said, gosh, I can't believe it's almost over. And we're in that in between time. Advent is done, but the New Year's not here, and here we are with a fifth Sunday on our hands. What do we do with a fifth Sunday in December? Four weeks of Advent. You know, I love the Advent candle, and one of the first things I did this morning was I snuck over there and I lit all five, five of the candles. You know, when I was first a Christian and first so excited about Jesus, and I had my first Christmas, and we had the Advent candle, I said, well, shouldn't we light the Christ candle first? Like, no, Kim, that's the story of Christmas. We're waiting. We light the candles one by one, and we don't light the Christ candle till the end because that's our anticipation of Jesus coming. okay. It just seemed to me like it should be lit the whole time. You know what my very favorite part of the Christmas Eve services anybody have a guess and this is I love the music I love the music love the liturgy my favorite part is when our pastor goes over there and lights his candle from the Christ candle and then we take and we light everyone's candle <clears throat> If you're visiting from another church, I know that so many churches have this tradition of lighting up the sanctuary with every person holding their own candle. I know we did it at my mom's church back in Columbine in Colorado. I love watching every single person in the sanctuary have their candle lit by the light of Christ. If you notice, I don't know if you're like me, but I love to look around the sanctuary. Do any of you spend time once those candles are lit and look around? It is the only time, <clears throat> excuse me, that when we have an evening service that you can see the faces of people in the pews. Come up here at a six o'clock service when it's already evening and look and try and see the people in the back and in the balcony. You cannot see their faces, but on Christmas Eve, you can. On Christmas Eve, every single face, man, woman, and child, you can see by the light of that candle, by the light of Christ. And if it were up to me, we would stand in that presence as a community for hours. Just stand there, soak it up. The presence of Christ, the presence of Christ in us. Do you know what my least favorite part of the Christmas Eve service is? Blowing the candle out. Oh, I hate that. Oh, can't we just stand here for another few seconds? Don't make me blow my candle out. I know that it's a fire danger. I want to keep that candle lit. I want to stand with all of you. I want us to feel that standing together just a little longer. So guess what? That's what we're going to do today. Fifth Sunday, I'm here. We're going to stand with that Christ candle lit We're going to look around and see each other's faces. Go ahead, look around. Look at the faces of those who hold the light of Christ within each of you. Soak it up the light of Christ in us. I've often wondered with the scripture verse that we read this morning, these words of Mary, why we don't spend more time in Advent on these words of Mary. I mean, after all, she was the very first human being who was told what was about to happen. The very first human mind who started to reason or unreason what God was about to do. You would think that we would spend a little more time on her word, shouldn't say that much. When I was first in Egypt, my first uh, mission trip, we had a translator who was working with our team. He was a Coptic Christian. Coptic is the first century Christian church in Egypt. <clears throat> and he said to our team, who had come from Bel Air Presbyterian, he said, You know, you Protestants have really placed Mary too low. Now, the Catholics have placed Mary too high. But we Coptics, we've got her just right. And I wonder if maybe it's this too high, too low, where does Mary belong, that we kind of pole vault over her song, the Magnificat, that we kind of come screeching up to it and then jump over it. Maybe it's that we don't want to give Mary too much focus. In our Protestant upbringing, there's something that feels a little squeamish. It's about Jesus. It's not about Mary, so let's just move past that. Or maybe the opposite is true. Maybe there's something that's so high about Mary, the mother of God, these words that she alone speaks. Maybe it feels somehow sacrilegious to approach these scriptures and ask, what do these words sound like coming from my mouth? And yet do we do ourselves a disservice by not approaching these verses of Scripture like we are supposed to approach every verse of Scripture, to ask not only what does it mean to the original writer, what does it mean to the people in the story, but what does it mean to me? How do I enter into these verses of Scripture? And so I wonder if maybe we sail over Mary's song because we feel it's Mary's song, that we haven't made it our song. And so today I want to ask you, is this your song? Can you own these words in a way that makes sense for you? Can you sing a song of joy the way Mary has? And so I want to take a little bit of time with Mary on what she said and understand it with you. The first words that Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now if we don't get much further than just these few words today, that's gonna be okay, because these few words are so packed. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, what did Mary mean? Why did Luke pick this word? The word that he picked for soul means something very particular. The word is psyche. It's the root word for our word psychology, psychiatry, the human psyche. Psyche is what makes all of us uniquely ourselves. It has to do with our intellect, with our reasoning, with our emotions, with our behaviors, with the will to do or the will not to do, Whatever it is we do or don't do, the human psyche is all of that, our soul. Do you know there is not another person on the face of the planet? There never has been and there never will be a person with an identical soul as the soul that you have. Think about identical twins, identical in every biological way, indistinguishable. We would never dream of saying that they're souls. Are identical. A soul is unique to you. It is what makes you essentially you. So when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, that's something that is unique to Mary. And when you say, my soul magnifies the Lord, that is something that is unique to you. Only you can magnify the Lord in the way that you are meant to magnify the Lord. And if for some reason you don't enter into this song, you don't make this your song, if for some reason your soul does not magnify the Lord, then the world is lessened. Because no one else can do what you do. Your experiences, your makeup, your psyche, your soul... Is meant to be part of this song. My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnification, to magnify. Let's think about that for a second. When Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's not saying, oh look at me. If it wasn't for me, God wouldn't be so big. When we magnify something, we don't add to it. We don't change its makeup. It's not better or bigger because we're looking at it or concentrating on it. When we magnify it, it's enlarged. If there was a telescope that could talk, probably is on some cartoon somewhere, a talking telescope, and that telescope said, I magnify the moon, would we think, now where did that telescope come off? Who does that telescope think it is magnifying the moon? it magnifies the moon that telescope we would know is describing exactly what it was functionally created to do it is performing its purpose and we would say that's a perfectly made telescope that magnifies the moon it's doing what it was created for and so likewise when our soul magnifies the lord we are doing what we have been created to do. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, the chief end of humankind is to glorify, to magnify the Lord and enjoy Him forever. So when we magnify the Lord, we are achieving our very purpose for being alive. Easy, right? We don't have to do big things and be big things. We are who we were meant to be, designed to be, when we allow our soul to magnify the Lord. Isn't it interesting also that when we magnify something, at least it seems so to me, that we become smaller, right? If you take a magnifying glass and look at an ant, Doesn't your hand seem a little bit smaller than it was before you were looking at the ant through the magnifying glass? Things change in perspective. And when we magnify something and we have that sense of smallness, I think it's an appropriate response. It's in Psalm 8 when David says, out of his very human and yet his very king like experience, David is stopped and staring at the skies magnifying them, if you will, because of his concentration, his meditation on the stars and the moon. And David writes, when I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what is man that you are mindful of him? Perspective. And of course, the great praise song that's based on this psalm says, with a word you flung the heavens, the stars into place, scattered stars, and gave the earth its frame. And who is man that you would touch him with your grace? And who am I that you would know my name? When we magnify the Lord, when we Magnify the Lord, stand in his presence. We are mindful of our place in this universe, that we are incredibly small and fragile, that God is great and powerful. And we are meant to have this appropriate sense of wonder when God is magnified. Now Mary goes on and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. What does your soul magnify? Because I'm here to tell you that whatever your soul magnifies is probably what your life is filled with. Some people magnify their troubles. That's what they look at. It's what they concentrate on. Their troubles are enlarged because it's what they are focused on. Some people magnify what is not in their lives. Some people pray so hard and so long and they want and they need and yet they are aware of what is not there and that absence is magnified. My soul magnifies. How would you complete that sentence? What is the object of your magnification? When you magnify the Lord, Do you know that you magnify the one who loves you? Do you know that his kindness pours out toward you? Do you know that as you stand before this awesome, infinite, all-powerful God and have that sense of wonderful insignificance, that in that moment God takes you and says you are incredibly significant? You are my child. I love you. When your soul magnifies the Lord, you are showing kindness to yourself by living in His love, His mercy, His kindness toward you. Mary goes on and she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit. It's a different word from soul. Luke chooses the word pneuma for spirit. Pneuma its the root word for pneumatic. If any of you work with power tools, you'll know that pneumatic means powered by air. What is it in us that is powered by spirit, the breath of God? When Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that word is pneuma, the spirit of God. Pneuma is the word in Greek that comes most closely to the translation of the Greek word ruach, Ruach, the image of God that was breathed into the nostrils of Adam at the creation of humankind in Genesis 2, that which enlivens us, that which takes us from being an earthly creature and makes us a spiritual being, the ruach of God. When Mary says, my soul magnifies and my spirit rejoices, she is talking about two elements of herself, two elements of every human being, that which makes us most uniquely ourselves, our psyche, our souls, creaturely, and that which gives us a touch of the image of God in us spiritual, all of this together, coming and focusing on the Lord. If the psyche or soul is all about how we know and understand ourselves and others, our pneuma, our spirit, is how we understand God. Now, why does Mary bust forth with this song when she does? What has caused her to sing this song? She tells us directly, it's because he has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. And maybe this is where the rubber meets the road. Maybe this is why we choose to skip over Mary's song. Maybe it's because we can't say, he has done great things for me. I know that there are people with us today, people here in the sanctuary, people watching online that come to wait, waiting for God to do something great in their life. People that look around this sanctuary and go, he did something great for you, he did something great for you, great, great, me, not so great. I'm not feeling it, God. Can you say He has done great things for me. Now, I'm aware that there are some of you that carry sorrow and suffering. Some of you have such illness, are in such abusive situations, that it feels impossible to say, He has done great things for me and mean it. And the last thing God wants you to do is slap a happy Christian smile on your face. But I am here to tell you that God is mindful of you. I am here to tell you, persevere and know that these are circumstances and not the promise of the abundant life that God has for you. And there are some of you who come with your illness, with your circumstances, with your brokenness, and you sit in these pews. Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year, and you say, God has done great things for me. In your trials, in your troubles, you have found this song and made it your own. God has done great things for me. You see, when we stop and think about it, At this point in time when Mary says God has done great things for me in the past tense, from all ways that we can observe Mary, if we were to look at her, nothing has changed. She's still a poor girl from a poor family. She hasn't been given a lot of gold or frankincense or myrrh yet. No one's paying much attention to her yet, thankfully. She hasn't gotten married yet. Nothing much has changed for Mary. And yet, an angel spoke to her. An angel told her that she would become pregnant with the child of God. And so for Mary, everything has changed. How can you receive news? that Jesus, God, is going to take on flesh and be born to dwell among us, to save us, to bring us back to the heart of the Father. How can you receive that news and feel that nothing has changed? Everything has changed. In the prophetic moment that Mary has, where she sees that not only is her life going to be turned inside out, but the world is going to be turned upside down. All the structures of the world, political, social, economic, in this child, in this man, everything is new. Everything is different. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. These are the words that the angel Gabriel said to Mary as she was being a little taken off guard with all this news. And the news was added, Oh, by the way, your barren old cousin is also pregnant. She has conceived because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing has ever been impossible with our God. From taking Abraham, one man, and entering into a covenant relationship with him, and saying, I am going to multiply you. I am going to give you seeds, children, as vast as the sand, and as vast as the stars. I'm going to magnify you. I'm going to make your name great. Thousands of years later, later, people will still be talking about you, Abraham. And I am going to bless you. So that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How is that possible? Through one man, that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Nothing is impossible with God. From parting the Red Sea, delivering Israel, from finding the shepherd David and setting him on the throne of Israel, nothing is impossible with God. Jesus walked among the people of this world, performing all kinds of signs and wonders. And then Jesus says, very truly, I say to you that whoever believes in me, whoever magnifies me, whoever glorifies me, you will do works like I have done and even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. Do you believe that you are capable of even greater things? Is there greatness in your life because your soul magnifies the Lord? Has the presence of Jesus Christ radically changed your life today? Now, here, forever, because if it hasn't, let today be the first day. I dare you, I double-dog dare you, to make these words of Mary's yours, to enter into this song, to make these words your words, and I pray that your soul may magnify the Lord And I pray that you will rejoice in God, your Savior. Would you pray with me? Holy God, you are a great God, performing wondrous things in our lives, things that sometimes we pass by and don't even see. God, give us eyes to see your power, your might. God, give us hearts to know your love. God, give us souls to receive and to rejoice in you, to magnify you. God, would you set us free to truly rejoice in who you are, to take all the promises of God that are yes in Jesus Christ and hear that yes to us today the gathered people of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.